Yeah, I mean, we sit, yeah. I mean, we all should really sit in a circle, but, you know, here we are. Well, welcome this morning. It's good uh, to gather with you. Probably of no surprise to you, I am not particularly patriotic, especially as it's often, <laughs> I know, I like how you're laughing already. Um, it's often tied to or confused with tendencies of nationalism. However, the anniversary of the horrific events of 9-11 falling on a Sunday is not lost on me, especially as we begin our very first time together going through a book of the Old Testament. I know that sounds crazy. As a church that is like, goodness, 17, 18 years old, um, and I've been here like 11 out of those, I don't remember us ever going through an entire book of the Old Testament. So here we are. Um, the ideologies, <laughs> you can stay, Shelly, it's all right, it's going to be fine. <laughs> the ideologies that lead to acts of terrorism and violence, the ensuing fear that takes hold of people, the grief and collective trauma that is carried, the cultural shifts that come and the transformation of shared language create a complex web that begs for meaning-making in life. And when I pause to really take in the wider perspective, I recognize that the events that have occurred in our lifetime resemble those before it, bringing to mind that familiar line from Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. Coming to grips with this can feel pretty disorienting, as can the entire Old Testament, if we're being honest. And while scripture has always had an authoritative and formative role in the life of God's people, we've also seen how it has been used to bind, wound, and separate people. So naturally, this can leave us unsure of what to do with difficult texts that don't align with our understanding or experience of God. And in light of this, it's tempting to not even crack open our Old Testament scriptures. In this season, we enter and find our place as wanderers and wanderers in the story of God through the book of Koheleth. Koheleth is the Hebrew Bible's term for the book that we know as Ecclesiastes, which is simply the name given from the transliteration of the Greek term found in the, in the Greek Bible. This book assembles. Most importantly, it assembles people, but also thoughts and wisdom and the larger story of God. The wisdom that we find in the book is shared through the perspective of Koheleth, most likely a literary persona who uses poetic language to grapple with the complexities of life. History and politics, human nature... All are seen in a bleak light, something we might identify with today as we survey the landscape being whittled away by capitalism, life destroyed through the effects of global warming, people swept away in floods of water and floods of war, both armed and unarmed conflict, whether it's in our daily lives or with and among people around the globe. As you may have gathered by now, we are going all in on a tough book. It is one that requires resistance as we read because it is dangerous and even deadly. 
this text is easily morphed into a handy tool for misogyny or to glorify patriarchal and empire-supporting hierarchy and wealth. The book also stirs a sense of weariness because despite much activity or what some might consider productivity, it names how little depth or value or satisfaction is experienced in life. And with all of its repetition, with all of its circularity, this book reminds me of making art with one of those spirographs. Do you remember those? So using those various plastic shapes, you take that pin and you press down firmly on a fixed point, and then you allow that plastic disc to move along a stencil. And the repetition gives way to something that looks complex, but is simply the pattern multiplied. If you're like me, these things can be simultaneously fun and frustrating. It's hard to hold that pin steady while moving the plastic shape along the right path along that stencil. It's kind of a pain. Like the words found in Kohelis, sometimes our lives look and feel like they've followed a spirograph. There's a circular, a nothing new, or we're getting tired of the repetition sort of sentiment that may lead some of us to think or even verbalize in this series. What the Kohelis? Hence the snarky title for the series. Brittany and I got a good chuckle during staff meeting about that one, so we went with it. But sitting with the repetition that we'll find in this book forces us to wrestle with, experience, integrate, and compost rather than just intellectualize the text. And as commentator Lisa Michael Wolf reminds us, the questions we encounter and must keep asking also become tools for resistance in undermining patriarchy, hierarchy, racism, homophobia, and classism all which continue to plague our world. With insistent questioning of doctrine, Kohelis fosters and encourages a hermeneutic of suspicion necessary for revolution and reform work that is to be held in tension and in tandem in subverting conventional notions in order to transform the world. To which I think, is this not what God is always we are going to read and simply sit with chapter one today. But before we do so, allow me to share a few more technical pieces that are going to speak to our entire journey throughout this series in relationship to this book. First, a word about the date and genre. Scholars can agree on one thing. It is difficult to date this book. The best guess is around 250 BC, likely with heavy influence from Hellenistic thought, which is simply the influence of Greek language, philosophy, and culture on the world that was created after the conquest of Alexander the Great, which spanned from India to Egypt at the end of the 4th century BC. We can assume that the author was familiar with the contents of the Pentateuch and the prophets, and operating within what is known as the tradition of the sages, which is simply the prophets, priests, and wisdom teachers within the Hebrew world. Interestingly, Ecclesiastes was assigned reading during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is intriguing because as one of the most negative of biblical scrolls, it was read at one of the most positive of festivals that celebrates 
God's bounty and blessing. Something we might keep in mind as we move forward. A word about gender. Gender ideologies in the book are more complex than they first appear, taking us from gender bending to gender ambiguity to what might be identified as full-out misogyny. And this can create more questions around the context in which the book was written. But again, we don't have a definitive date. And even if we did, we wouldn't necessarily have more clarity around social and gender roles at the time. So we're going to take care, if you will, with assumptions around social and, and particularly around gender roles as we read. A word about language. You will hear Koheleth has a theme word. It is Hebel, H-E-V-E-L. It is a Hebrew word that is used with a wide range of meanings. It is used 38 times just in this short book, and it is an ambiguous term, and it was probably used because it was so ambiguous. Let me share some translations of the word. They include worthless, insubstantial, futile, fleeting, unreliable, vain, foolish, meaningless, pointless, frustration, illusory, brief, obscure, nothing, emptiness, absurd. In other words, we don't have good translations. The word is often paired with a striving after the wind, which can be equated with the elusive aspect of breath, referring to the waste product, though, of breathing, which is not to be confused with the opposite, ruach, which is the animating, life-giving breath. Maybe, then, most helpful are translations of breath-like, or vapor, or smoke. We also might lean toward translating the word as absurd, because as commentator Michael V. Fox says, absurdity is an affront to reason in the broad sense of the human faculty that looks for order in the world about us. The quality of absurdity does not inhere in a being, act, or even in and of itself, but rather in the tension between a certain reality and a framework of expectations. Or as Wolf puts it, it is the difference between what we should expect from divine justice and what we see instead. Again, leaving us to ask, what the Koheleth? I'm going to read our text not once but twice this morning, hence the silly stack of Bibles up here. Uh, the first time I'm going to read it through from the NRSV, you are welcome to click over there on your e-bulletin if you would like to follow along or open if you've got a Bible with you. The second time through, I'm going to read from the message because I feel like this translation provides some insight. Um, I want to encourage you to follow along if you've got it with you or just simply listen. And as you listen, pay attention to what stirs in you. Maybe what do you identify with or notice um, that relates to your own experience. I will say I'm only going to make a couple of comments on the way through in the NRSV and then just read the message version. All right? So Ecclesiastes, if you're looking for it, it's uh, after Psalms, Proverbs, and then we get Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, 
Right off the bat, teacher is the word for koheleth, okay? It could also be translated as quester or collector, maybe preacher or someone who speaks, like to an assembly. And the son of David, the king here, might be better understood as a descendant of, so, or someone to be likened to, but not actually Solomon himself, okay? Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Here we have five instances of our word, Hebel. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. Here, the author is poetically drawing attention to the repetition in nature as prime evidence of the cyclical character of reality. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. All things are wearisome, even those cycles in, in nature, even the ones that bear evidence of life and allow for life itself. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. Here in verse 10, the ages before us also links to verse 4, but the earth remains forever, referring to the sustaining role of nature, something that we have a lot to learn about as it's easy for us to succumb to actions that would indicate belief that humans do not even affect nature, a view that likely contributes to our very own demise. Talk about an unending cycle of Hebel. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will they be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and, all, and see all is vanity and chasing after wind. What a... What, a, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also but chasing after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. Let me read it fresh from the message version. These are the words of the quester, David's son and king in Jerusalem. Smoke, nothing but smoke, that's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. What's, what's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? 
One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up and the sun goes down, then does it again and again, the same old round. The wind blows south, the wind blows north, around and around and around it blows, blowing this way, then that. The whirling, erratic wind, all the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place and then start all over and do it again. Everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. Call me the quester. I have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I looked most carefully into everything, searched out all that is done on this earth. And let me tell you, there's not much to write home about. God hasn't made it easy for us. I've seen it all, and it's nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. Life's a corkscrew that can't be straightened, a minus that won't add up. I said to myself, I know more and am wiser than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I've stockpiled wisdom and knowledge. What I finally concluded is that so-called wisdom and knowledge are mindless and witless, nothing but spitting into the wind. Much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> For in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. Friends, we find ourselves in the midst of a cultural shift, propelled by vexation and sorrow. As we live with this most recent pandemic, the drastic effects of global warming, and the broad shifts in undermining patriarchy, hierarchy, racism, homophobia, and classism, we are learning a new language. Kohela's theme word, Hebel, ties together what we'll witness both in this book and in our lives as we join the author in wrestling over how to live and make meaning of life. As we too observe that there is a march of time, if you will, that we're all going to die, and there's a random and unpredictable nature to life. But let us move forward together, remembering that Hebel does not refer to life having no meaning, but to the wisdom that the meaning is never quite clear. Life is patterned like that image produced by that spirograph. And in the moments we get caught up in what feels so disorienting or meaningless, Kohela's wider view reminds us that the faithful response is to live in awe of our Creator and to do what the Lord instructs us to do. As wanderers and wonders journeying through Kohelas, we are learning wisdom the wisdom of holding things with an open hand, of not trying to control life, 
or of worrying. We are learning to choose to enjoy now. This is hopeful resistance in the face of life's absurdities, and it is how we join in the revolutionary and reform work of God who is transforming our world. May it be so. Amen. You can turn to the Lord's Table Liturgy in your bulletin.